Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 406 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Paris Joachim Farrow of the Borg about the design and development of their puzzle platformer, 10. 10 rooms, 10 seconds. Now, I do like puzzle platformers. Sorry, I mean puzzle platformers. Hang on. Puzzle. Right, let me do that again. Puzzle. Why can't I say the words? Puzzle platformer. Puzzle Puzzle platform, there you go, I've got it there. Puzzle platform, I've got it, right. You know, this intro is much like playing 10, 10 rooms, 10, 10 seconds, because that's what you do. You you mess up and you do it again. You mess up and then you restart and do it again, ad infinitum. And that's what you do. That's the premise of, of 10, 10 rooms, 10 seconds. And it's about difficulty, this episode. Challenges. How video games are designed around a challenge, typically, not always. Don't go there, everyone. I know what you're going to say, but you know what I mean. 99 times out of 100, there's some kind of challenge involved. And we delve into this concept quite heavily in this episode of The Sausage Factory. And it's fascinating to talk about. Do we embrace, do we delve into the difficulty? Do we face it head on? Or do we try to shroud it and and, and to say, well, okay, it's a little bit of a barrier, I guess, but, you know, you can still enjoy experience. So we talk about that, as well as many other things. So let's listen to me do that very thing. Talk about things, difficulties in video games from the relatively recent past. Chris, please do take it away. Paris. Hello there. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? How are you doing? I, 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 how... Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Come on, we'll, we'll do this. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, okay, so yeah, I'm I'm Paris, and I am a solo uh, game developer, indie game developer. Um, what do I do? I guess I met, I just finished making my first game. So right. um, do I make games? I am continuing to, I guess. Right. So that's what I do. But I, yeah. I also um, I I only do this part time at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I do other things. Other things. <laughs> yeah, well, other things. General things. Other things. I can relate to that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> 
later. I, well, so, I mean, what I was doing was making training for businesses, like building digital training courses. Right. And uh, but obviously that's not. It's okay work. It's great work, but yeah. it's not. It's not video game development. No, <laughs> so. I can just imagine you importing those ideas into ten ten rooms ten seconds. <laughs> just trying to. No, that wouldn't. That would end in terrible bloodbath. So, <laughs> that just and there was a lot of health and safety stuff. Here's yeah, a game is. about health and safety. Health and safety. Can you survive I guess in 10 this room? Kind of is. Yeah, if you can survive in this room full of death for ten seconds, how about that? There's there's, <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned there. Um, so, I mean, you obviously answered this next question already, almost. But um, it's this how far back we can go because you've got a bit of history there. Because it's got to be said, ten ten rooms, ten seconds is an extraordinary experience. And it definitely feels it's been designed with a capital D. So you certainly know what you're doing, Paris. You really do. But I'd have to ask, how did you make your start making video games? Well, I mean, really, it's kind of like the typical story of when I was a kid, I just played games and I was always thinking of different ideas for games. And throughout my life, I've... I just kind of got loads of notepads and I was always writing, you know, this is this notepad is entirely for this idea. This is for this idea. And just like pretty much any game designer, I just have a, a whole filing cabinet of ideas, concepts, uh, different designs for things, uh, all sorts of things. Um, and I always wanted to make a game, but I just didn't know how. Um, so it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago that I finally decided, you know what, I'm I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try and make something. Uh, before then, I had some experience with RPG Maker and I made a lot of trash in RPG Maker, just kind of learning how... I mean, it's not a, like a, a deep kind of uh, involved tool, but um, it, it was interesting kind of learning how to structure things, how to build interesting conversations or interactions and things like that. Um, and from there, I just thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up some code about two, three years ago. I'm going to pick up a game maker studio. And I'm going to try and make something. And a lot of the kind of like background of people uh, will learn, they'll go on, watch YouTube's tutorials. They'll, uh, they'll kind of go through step-by-step guides, etc., and that's how a lot of people learn. But what I did was, <laughs> I just read the manual. So I downloaded Game Maker Studio too, and I just opened the manual. And then during my breaks at work, I would just read it um, and make notes of things like, if I wanted a character to do this, if I wanted a sprite to do this, how would I do it? And I just kind of did that for a couple of months, um, and then from that point. I went straight into a game jam um, with no experience of ever making anything. And I, I managed to make what I would call something like a third of a game jam game. Um, and it was terrible. And that is kind of how I started game development. And and since then, I basically jumped straight into making 10. Um, so I, So before 10, I had little to no actual experience of game development uh and i was learning as i went with it so i i started off with just a block on the screen and i said okay what do i do to make it move uh what should it do what is interesting to do with this so obviously you get your standard you got let's get some gravity in there let's let you jump and move and then where's the game here uh let's put a threat in and it just went from there and it built up and up into 
what is now 10. Uh, and that's kind of, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's kind of not a very interesting backstory because I, I never learned, I never studied game development. I, I, I guess all my years of playing games was the study. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's it really. I just kind of jumped in and went for it. Absolutely inspirational stuff. I'm going to say that. There's not me blowing smoke up your rear end, whatever that means. But if anyone's got any worries about, you know, you're just sitting there going, well, it's got a manual, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that's the clues in the title of the book. It's a manual. Manuals are there to tell you how to do a thing. So I'm going to read it. Thank- <laughs> exactly. Thankfully, the Game Maker manual isn't terrible because... I suspect you and I, I mean, you, you mentioned about training and stuff, and you know, like you encounter manuals or texts written for the person who wrote them. It's like, well, it's, yes, it's no, it's no good to anyone, is it? But I've, I've, trust me, I, you know, my day job, I completely relate to that. Like, no, just no, <laughs> it's a useless text. But no, you're right. It's what I've always been fascinated by. It's just, you know, my own personal experience when I was learning programming thousands of years ago now. Um, when we used to sort of like abacuses and stuff, and it was all fine. But it was basically always struggled with collision detection and actually telling the computer that when one thing interacts with the other due to chance or indeed uh, interaction with someone, then you need to do a thing. <laughs> what? Oh, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just, everyone takes that for granted, going, well, why is it collision detection so off in this game? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Because it's yeah, yeah. hard. It's <laughs> I learned big. a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's really... And you realise that, wait, this is really complex like logic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because there's so many different variables. You have to tell... You have to allow for all of them. All yes. of them. And, I'm still learning about that. I'm still, yeah. you know... I mean, you're always learning, but... Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just walking into a wall and yeah. then making sure you then touch the wall but don't go through it. Don't go through it. Yeah. <laughs> blew my mind when exactly. I first like, came to well, it. I was like, what is going on here? It's like, you have to tell it that it's a wall. Why? You can see it is. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you don't understand. The computer is, people say computers are profoundly stupid. They're not. It's not about intelligence because that's a stupidity thing. They are ignorant of everything. <laughs> about everything until you tell them the exact parameters of everything about the thing it's true i mean yeah (laughs) so many things that seem very simple stuff we take for granted uh text appearing on a screen but one letter at a time so a character speaking out that is if you try and tell someone okay how would i do that in code and break it down you could be there for like an hour explaining why and how it has to be this way and how complex it is but yeah you know, as as a as a gamer before I ever came to that, yeah. I thought, oh, this is this is probably a pretty basic, simple thing because yeah, yeah. so many games use it, but it isn't. You know, it's one it's... of the earliest things I learned about doing that very thing of actually having a typewriter sort of like animation of uh, of like um, text coming up on the screen because I thought it was kind of cool to do that. Oh God, <laughs> you know, it's it's really it's painful, but it's it was fun to do because I learned a lot by doing that by creating an animation that reflected some old sort of typewriter it's not all well they have like on war games or something like that where they how the text is displayed on the computer yeah. like that's not how it works but never mind it looks awesome <laughs> <laughs> no good stuff really good stuff so my next question then and this is a bit of a nebulous one paris so don't be afraid to say oh, i can't like, hang on this is too weird but it's not weird <laughs> it's just like what well, am i supposed to answer this but Many, many, many guests and over the years have struggled with this one. So you're not alone. 
So don't worry. But you are a creator, and I have to ask you this question. What are your biggest influences? My biggest influences? Mm. You know you know what? There's, there's quite a lot, to be honest. Um, and a lot of the things that influence me are just experiences that I've had with uh, games in the past. And also um, just, I guess, ideas that I've come up with over the years that stick with me so if i don't ever get to use them i I still always got them in the back of my mind um and but really it is just experience is influence so um there will be games that i've played where there's certain aspects of those games and i'm like i want to use this in every game i make i want it to feel like this um and i think one of the biggest influences for me uh, there's two aspects to it the one is in terms of what drives me to game development and the other influence is uh in game design so what kind of influences my game designs um i watched indie game the movie um i don't, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it right oh yes it's 10 years it, old now that thing oh, Best man, not to I, yeah, it's just incredible but yeah go on it is yeah it's very i mean i saw that when it came out yeah yeah that was actually kind of the starting point that influenced me because i i really felt like I could, I kind of wanted to relate to it, but I wasn't a game developer and I kind of wanted to understand. And it was a really nice kind of fly on the wall um, view of, of what it's like and, and some other kind of the, the trials and the problems uh, that people encounter. And, and it just felt like a really kind of inspirational um, story. Like all of them were kind of, were really inspirational. Um, and, a lot of the time I think back to that whenever I'm kind of losing momentum or whatever, I, I kind of re- revisit that in my memory and go, Oh, you know, this, this is a, this is kind of like a dream uh, that I always wanted, that I always had as a child. And, um, and it, and it, it kind of drives me. Um, but in terms of actual game design, uh, it's a lot of the classic stuff that I played when I was a kid um, really influences how I develop games. And from the indie game movie, the reason I mentioned that as well is uh, Super Me Boy. There is a heavy influence from that in 10. Um, and you can kind of tell, you've got the, the spinning blades and things like that. The, the way the levels are designed in that game are just really, really good. Um, and weirdly, I am influenced by a lot of horror as well. Like there is a lot of... Um, kind of horror elements that influence how I've designed things and, and what I want to make in the future. Um, and I suppose a little bit of that seeps into 10 towards the end. There's some hints at something there, um, but, but 10 isn't a dark, it's, it's not meant to be a dark game necessarily. Uh, it's a bit, you know, silly and panicky, but there are, yeah, that horror will influence everything I ever make. There is always a voice in the back of my head. If I'm making something real cute, and designing something cute, it's like make a dark twist in there, put something evil in there, just make 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 someone's skin crawl. Um, and it is it's weird. I don't know why, but that I, I just love those kind of elements in things. Mm. So uh, I don't know if that really answers your question. I'm, I think I went sort of no, off on a tangent. No, you <laughs> did. No, you answered it very well. There's no real right answer the way to answer that. Well, as I say, somewhat nebulous question, but I think it's an important question because it illustrates from where you came from how 
10, 10 runes, 10 seconds came from. You know, it's, that's the, it, it illustrates that you were inspired by other things. You aren't living in a bubble. And the phrase often mentioned in this show, standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's fine. We all do that. There's a great pile of people that we got to where we are today. Uh, and, um, and that's fine. That's fine. And Super Meat Boy, yes, it definitely influences there. There's also a bit of N++ in there as well, I think. Um, and uh, But we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. But, uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Right. Next question. Again, it's true. these questions get more difficult as the show goes on. It's a bit like a game. If there's a mini-boss halfway through, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, let's see how I feel. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might decide. <laughs> We're done, Chris. Okay, fine, fair enough. Um, what video game developer do you admire the most and why? Oh man, uh, that is that is one hell of a question. Um, I, you know what? There is one name that comes to mind, and it's going to sound really kind of like cliche because right. a lot of people admire this person and talk about this person uh, and idolize them. But it is it's actually it's Toby Fox, right? And and loads of people love the game Undertale. It's like, you know, they see it as like the most awesome game ever. But the the thing that gets me about about him is he um, basically worked solo and produced something by himself that became so loved by so many people. And that for me was like when I saw that and I experienced his game and I, and I kind of really connected with it. I thought, wow, it's amazing that you know, something that I thought was made by a huge team of people was just one person's kind of like dream and vision mm. uh, realized. Um, so I do look up to that that game and developer a lot um, because because really that's, I, I suppose that I should have mentioned him when I was talking about influences because because that is another big inspirational uh, story mm. that kind of drove me towards, it actually drove me towards the game maker engine right um because uh the undertale game was built in that engine so i just thought well you know if if one person by themselves can do something that awesome then maybe i can make something halfway good <laughs> yeah um i often cite hotline miami as well as a game that was made in game maker and go here you go look at that that game's insane <laughs> Miami <laughs> is uh, it's like so simple as a concept, yeah, but so ridiculously fun to play, yeah. And and I love that 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 was actually one of the things I really wanted to bring across into ten was like, let's take something really simple and do something that is really fun and frantic with it. And you know, I'm not I'm not an expert, but like Hotline Miami is really really good game. Yeah. I absolutely love that game. And the little animation cutscene things, which like. I've got questions. Yeah, we haven't got any answers. I'm just going to give you more questions. Just, just go in and kill everything. Okay, but I've still got... I know. I know you've got questions. We've got questions. We never know. You know, the maker's like, we don't know what this is about. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild, <laughs> wild story. <laughs> it's just like, just roll with it. I can't, I know. <laughs> so what a fantastic answer yeah um, right Undertale is, a, is a, a magnificent achievement for for someone just one you know that's a real dedicated slog of like I'm going to do the thing I can do this so yeah, yeah yeah more inspiration but no great answer see getting good at this and uh, <laughs> last question of the first half ready brace yourself let's go here we go bring it on what are you playing right now 
What am I? Oh man! I, right, so I am. I've just uh, kind of got into um, Forbidden West, uh, okay. Horizon Forbidden West. Right. So, and, and I'm really enjoying that because I yep. played the first game when that came out, mm-hmm. and straight away when I saw the trailer to that game, I was like, I've not really experienced something like this. It, it feels like the the idea of these living machines and things. Oh, this is fascinating. I want to mm. know the story behind it. Um, so, but it, it's taken me far too long to get into the second one i've had so much going on um oh Oh, surely not (laughs) (laughs) well you know in the lead up to the 10 release 10's release i was just i was so busy and honestly there was not enough time in the day to do all the things i wanted to do so i was like going to sleep at 3 a.m and then waking up at like half eight and (laughs) just on a loop yeah at least a month (laughs) so yeah i was very drained but yeah i i am I am currently playing, um, yeah, Forbidden West, and also I'm still, I'm still making my way through Elden Ring, bit by bit. Uh, it, it's one of those things where I, d- I keep kind of dropping in for an hour or two and then leaving it, and uh, I'll probably finish it sometime in uh, the mid 2030s. Yeah, uh, but I we'll get there. Fair. Um, I have mentioned this on previous episodes, so forgive me, regular listener, but uh, Jay. Uh, one of our founders of Kane and Rinse, 300 hours on. Whoa! Yeah. Then again, he did New Game Plus it, so he got, he's got that. But, oh, well, that's fine. Uh, you see, that's the kind of game you can play yeah. again and again and again and have yeah. a different experience every time, so. I just love sort of the, the sense of constant death and danger. Some people get wound up about it. That's its positive for me. That's its attraction. <laughs> it's like, I'm probably going to die when I move like two steps forward. That's great. <laughs> That's I feel great. like that about life in general. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's a great mirror of life. But, you know, you, you build yourself up and you just, you know, just learn. It's fine. It's fine. But they're very different games, though. People sort of, oh, yeah, I mean, I do think Forbidden West got buried by uh, Elden Ring. It, it, it can't catch a break, isn't it? Because the first game got buried by Breath of the Wild. And then the uh, second, that's true, yeah. It was like, I, come on. A series I, of really poor decisions on release. <laughs> it is. It's like, what are you doing? No, don't. Because I remember when the announcement of Elden Ring was you know, the release date in late 2021, and all these PRs saying, I really feel for everyone in February of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're working in PR, you might want to take a week off. Probably the best. You know, <laughs> unless you're yeah. Namco Bandai, then you knock yourself out. Um, but everyone else, just, just go on all the think It's just be fine. Make way, make way kind of thing so yeah and in uh, it came and it, it was came. Oh. oh awesome it's, it's awesome <laughs> and uh yeah everything and and then some so but like i said i don't think it's terribly fair to compare the two titles they're doing very 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 different things and uh yeah i think that's true it's true but you do get comparisons sometimes well yeah because the open world um, action adventures there you go <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> You know, one of which doesn't have mechanical monsters. Although Maggie kind of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is there mechanical? Not really. There's tentacles, lots of tentacles. But anyway, right. Um, I did play the first one. I finished it. I even got the super armor. Oh, yeah, I did as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. I, I really just had to get that. <laughs> just like when I found out about it. Oh, no, no, that's mine. That, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get that stuff. And uh, yeah, it does turn the game into a bit of a, 
a silly thing because you're gaining health by being hit. It's just <laughs> yeah, it basically it's just God mode where you have to play through the game to completion to get yeah, God mode. You get God mode and then you just run around going, oh, this is... anyway, good stuff. Really wonderful game. So that's the end of the first half. Well done. Yay. So, let's move on it. to the second half of the show where we delve deep into 10, 10 rooms, 10 seconds. So, Paris, before we do that, we have to ask you the initial question, which is more like a request, really. In your own words, what is 10? 10 rooms, 10 seconds. Uh, 10 is a frantic, chaotic platformer in which you will die many times. And uh, I guess it's designed to make you shout at the screen. Um, and the the aim of this story is to escape a facility that is built and designed to kill you in a variety of terrible ways. Yes. And <laughs> just to be clear, everyone, so the actual framing of this is that it's a static screen. The only thing that isn't static is you. You play a little character that's yay high about a thumbnail high depending on the size of the screen you're looking at and everything and then it's and then there's like the there's things moving around the things you can land on are the same color as you it's two two tone really so black and white but you also have some color and the color is for the things that can kill you uh they're either red or orange when they go orange uh they are potentially going to kill you but not yet and there are other colors as well there's pink for things We'll talk about that. There's also cyan. We won't talk about that. Or maybe we could. They're kind of collapsing platforms, maybe, or things. Um, yeah, but these, these are all the things. But that's really the image. And you got, you know, it's a bit like VVVVVVV um, in terms of imagery. Um, I probably got enough ease when I said that, but that's a game that's well known. Um, and, and, and it did remind me a lot of that, the actual little fellow. And the way he runs is quite funny. He has his arms behind his back, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so fast he doesn't even pump his arms; he just lets them flop around. And he's it, so you know, 
when I when I did the sprite for him, he was originally just running like a normal person, right. you know, arms and legs, like that. and yeah. then I just did the other one as a oh, okay, let's just do this little joke. Yeah. Um, and it just it looked and felt so much better that yeah. I just scrapped the other one. I was like, I can't, I have to keep this joke in now. It's just, um, yeah, it's just like that kind of like Naruto run style. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. thing. So. Yeah. and people everyone kind of like prefers it and they they comment on it quite a lot yeah. i've seen so. it's just like why doesn't matter just let it go <laughs> so um knowing this everyone so it's a static screen so i'm very old so if you're really old like me it reminds me of a little bit of manic minor or jet set willy those games from the early 80s mid 80s early 80s 1983 that was or two so that's from that era. You probably don't know that, but it down well. It's similar visual styling as well. Um, but it's very much do you know, a static screen, and then you go and do interact with that static screen, and then move on. Now, this leads me on to my first question, Paris, because I just wanted to go for it. Explain the premise, because if this first question won't make any sense until the listener understands the concept of the the the, the, the of course, yeah, of the game. yeah, it makes sense. The scaling and verticality of 10, I'm going to call it 10 for now, everyone, but it is 10, 10 rooms, 10 seconds, um, is really prominent um, in that it's very large. You can jump quite high, higher than I thought I would be able to initially, and you have to get head around that. But why? Why is the scaling in this way? Why have you adopted this method? Why the just the, the sense of, like, you are... You have to embrace the all of the space rather than just see it as some scenery to get through. There seems to be a sense of learn this space player and know it and exploit it. Yes. Yeah. Was that always the intention? Yeah. So um, the first thing that I did was when I – actually, this, is, this might be quite a long answer because it kind of goes right. back to the origins of the idea. Mm. Um, when I first started making it, um, I wanted to really creatively limit myself. Um, so I had the previous year I'd played the game uh, Minute. Um, I don't know if you've if you've played Minute, but um, the concept for that was you've got to survive for uh, well, you can only live for one minute. And I just thought that's a really interesting idea. Um, and and I was looking at other games as well that have sort of like very uh, limited um, spaces in which to design. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to say, let's just say you, each uh, obstacle in the game, each challenge is a room. It's just the size of the screen. We're not going to move the camera around. You are locked within that space. And let's then say uh, the other limitation is we have 10 seconds to do something in this room. And what I ended up doing with it and what I really kind of wanted to uh, make really clear with the game is that um, each room is a puzzle. And the, the puzzle is, how do you use the platforms and the space within the room to survive for 10 seconds? A lot of games will say, you know, lock you in a room, uh, defeat all the enemies, or lock you in a room, complete this objective. But here, I just wanted it to be, can you survive? So when you're playing the game, you're going to die a lot of times. And that is a really important factor. You're supposed to die because you're supposed to come to this room, this puzzle, at first, not really know what's going on, but then uh, give the player a lot of sort of um, maneuverability and, and traversal around this space to learn how to deal with the um, obstacles and threats that are in there and 
figure out what solution to this uh, this puzzle works best for them. And they might have to come back through because they'll probably die in the next room, but now they've got the solution in their head, so they're going to repeat that solution each time. Um, and that's why, you know, the player can jump very high. That's why there's the rooms are, are quite large, but they're never bigger than the screen, apart from in very specific circumstances. Um, it is because that was the, that's the limit. I wanted to create a space and only work within that space and those limitations. That's it. You've got the palette. You've got a space. Use it. Yeah, and the actually that's the thing. The color is the color is another thing. I really yeah. like the black and white. And I was like, okay, red is a threat. I want mm-hmm. uh, that. That's actually really important because I did experiment with a colorful game before. Right. But the thing is, because you come into a room and then the doors close and bam, you're you're in a, you're in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it pops the color pops like the moment the the room slides in you can see the red so you know straight away i have to dodge that when things were colored it was harder to tell what is a threat what isn't Mm. um so the use of color is actually really important and more than you might think um because deciding on that black and white kind of one bit style uh color scheme was it's part of the functionality it's part of the experience not just the stylistic choice no, no, it's it's a, it's a functional thing. It's not. Yeah, you're right. It's it helps with you identifying where you are in relation to everything else, because it does move quite fast. Which leads me to my second question, <laughs> and this might be me projecting a bit, but this is how I've played ten. Okay, here we go. <laughs> there is a tendency when playing ten, after a while, is to find that magical safe spot. See that place in the room to go, look, if I just hold up here, it's only 10 seconds. How hard can this be? It's 10 freaking seconds. Come on. There's got to be some some island of safety in this hell of play. And yet, and yet, they don't exist. I've yet to find a room in, in 10 that I can say, it's fine, nothing's going to hit you here. It just doesn't exist. Um, and it does exist in a lot of Mario games, I have to say, but not, not, in, not in 10. <laughs> no. I'm fascinated. How on earth did you pull this off? That was that was really difficult, uh, and it yeah. just took a lot of um, a lot of watching people play. So there there are a few rooms in the game where there are easier spots. Yes. Um, so there's one uh, one of the final rooms on the first floor or second floor. Um, there's a room where you can basically stand on a platform. There's a lot of threats, but you can just deal with one gun and just hop over it, and that's fine. And and I, I wanted there to be a range. Of, of challenges in there um and you know some players the, the coins the tokens that you collect around the levels i've observed people just who are in a perfectly safe position run straight out just to pick up a coin yeah even when they've unlocked every ability in the game <laughs> it's it's just a natural human need yeah to you see that shiny thing and you want that shiny thing yeah um so what I tried to do was wherever there were rooms that I felt were easier than others, I would put tokens in places to encourage the player to come out and kind of play with the space a bit more. Mm. Um, but yeah, when, when I built it, there were rooms where there were some really cheeky, uh, cheese, cheesy solutions yeah, yeah. where you yeah. could basically stand. There's one, uh, I, I know exactly what it is. Right. Um, there's like these giant spinning blades that rotate around the outside of the room. Um, and my friend who tested it just ducked next to the door and the blade wouldn't touch them. Right. So then what I had to do was, in reaction to that, put spikes by the doorways 
that would come up and attack you to basically kind of like render that yeah. save point uh, unusable. Yeah. Um, so so it is. it was difficult because I designed a lot of the rooms and thought, you know, this will be nice, this will work like this. And I did try uh, and test it a lot, but it as the as a solo designer it is sometimes really hard to find those things until you see someone else play it because you know how it's built so you know uh how you want the player to play the game mm-hmm. um when you're designing as a solo developer and designer mm. you know how the room is built and you know how you want players to approach it and and solve it um but it's everyone plays games differently so when you you know when i pass the game over to a friend and he solved a room in a completely different way i was like i didn't know that was possible <laughs> i actually didn't know you could do that no. uh, and that's awesome but that makes the room too easy so now i have to put a new threat in there there yeah. was a lot of like you know each room had multiple iterations because uh, initially the game some of them were far too hard some of them were far too easy mm. um and there is like there is a change in difficulty and pace as you progress. So uh, each floor, I tried to put in some difficult and some easier rooms to kind of give you a bit of an up and down. Um, and where most games ramp up the difficulty higher and higher as you progress, 10 kind of stays even throughout because um, I wanted it to be more about, you know, you're learning, you're getting better, you're progressing faster, yeah. and you're solving these these puzzles as you go um so so yeah a lot of the lessons i learned in earlier floors i then applied to later floors to Mm. try and uh kind of like add variety and also deal with some of the cheeky ways that people were getting around uh, obstacles learning outcomes that's what i tell people it's just you you learn from these outcomes constantly and both as the creator and the player they are, you know, that's that's. It's not for mistakes. I hate that phrase because you learn from successes as well. So whatever quality or standard you measure the outcome to be, you are learning from it. And uh, ten yeah. does a really good job of that, of actually sort of. Well, you know what? I can jump that high. I can change direction halfway through a jump and land on that platform. And I do know what my speed is and how fast I can, and all of that stuff but you don't get it until you actually experience it. And that's really, really important. Yeah, that's the essence of everything that kind of the game is about. Yeah. You know, you play a Dark Souls game and you you don't you don't die in Dark Souls, or well, not often you don't die in Dark Souls because you because the game messed you about. You, a lot of the time you die because you haven't yet learned how to deal with this threat, yeah. this problem. No. Uh, and that is kind of, you know, my experience of, of that series definitely influenced some of the yeah. design of 10 quite a bit yeah, yeah. um because i mean the the tagline in 10's trailer is uh die try die try again and that yeah. was really yeah. kind of what it was about yeah. i've seen someone finish the game with 186 deaths and that that felt like success to me i was like yes i did it <laughs> i killed a player 180 times, <laughs> 180 times. <laughs> speaking of death or not I just, this is a really easy and simple question, but I think it's important to note because I've had a lot of, I've watched a lot of trailers and lots of playthroughs and people sort of messing around, and they miss this. And it's like, how are you missing this? <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I, I really think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. You can go is back and get your pizza. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the. You've lost 
Health? The pizza told you in the beginning you've got max health. OK, I'll come back when I don't have max health. How hard is this to understand? But apparently it is. Now, I want to ask, first of all, how, where did that come from? And why do you think it is people are missing this? Why do they, they don't see it? Is it a sense of pride? Like It's like a failure if they use the pizza? Or what, what do you think it is? Um, I think that... It, I think it's technically, it's like a mistake on my part. Um, I because because I designed the game and I just I put the pizza machine there and if I was playing the game I would see that it says max hearts and immediately I would go that means I ref- refill my hearts. Yeah, but I did but as that's, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some people will immediately get that, but yeah, but that's uh, I was thinking from my own perspective, and. Not everyone thinks in the same way, so no. uh, I know that I know for a fact there are some players who just refuse to use a pizza machine because they wanted to do like a pure yeah, yeah, run. Yeah, I get and that. Just wanted the That's fine. I'm <laughs> with them. I'm totally with them. Don't, yeah. I wouldn't never do it because I'm rubbish because my hand-to-eye coordination isn't what it used to be. Paris is going to say it, but <laughs> for those who just want to do like no, I'm, a, I'm you know no credit, the one credit run. Just want to do a one credit run. We've all been there. Um, that's fine. They could regard the pizza as credit. Fine. Okay. Uh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But uh, you're saying you saying the others just people just don't don't link the two logic together. Like, well, it's full now. I'm full. I can't go back until. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But <laughs> maybe <laughs> well, I mean, maybe because they can't, they don't think they can backtrack. Maybe that's it. Yeah. A few players when they went backwards, they were like, "Oh, you can go back." Yeah. Um. Didn't realize. Uh, and also a few players just i think once you leave that starting room you just forgot like forget about the pizza and just you know i'm in the game yeah. now and i'm just yeah. progressing um so so yeah i think what i should really have done is made it more clear uh, maybe given a, a bit of a tutorial around that so that is a lesson learned is that i need to make those things a bit more obvious um my, in the future. my, my suggestion would be very simple just put a flashing icon at the beginning of every uh, every room beyond the pizza room as i call it and just have it like at the beginning of every room just got a flashing pizza going remember it's there just in case yeah it's not a bad idea or yeah. you know having an icon in the corner which just, is just flashes up you know you're not, you're yeah. not just say even at the very beginning it's all like what and then what happened is that the curiosity would go why did that flash up like that that's weird it's pointing <laughs> it was pointing over to the left so I'm going to go through it. Oh, wait, hang on. I've cleared the room. I can just walk around and have a little... Oh, wait, wait, if I can go back to... I can get the pizza! <laughs> and then it, so that's... I think that's what I would recommend. There you go, a little, little bit of a easy... I'm not sure how easy that would be to put in. Not too bad. It's not that too intrusive, but I don't want to add work to your... But no, that's... Yeah, good. it's that's, not... That's, yeah, but it's a great idea. I mean, basically, I think the core of the idea of the pizza refill is to basically give a level of a little bit level playing field, just a little bit of a nudge to help. I'm sure, was it always there or was it something you added in later? Uh, I think I intended for the pizza to always be there. Um, right. And the idea, so so it, it's actually, um, it's actually there. It's a risk and reward kind of thing. Um, and there, the reason I put it in is, first of all, some players are going to be a different skill level. And I don't want to, I don't want the game to be restrictive. And that is why the game does have a casual mode where you can actually um, switch in vulnerability on and off. Uh, if you're just there for the story, you want to find out what happens at the end of this. Um, it is there in the menu. Um, the other thing is, if you are if you like competitive and you want to see, I'm going to try and get through the game in 
a limited amount of time with a limited amount of deaths. So I want to get that S rank at the end. Um, you have a risk and reward thing here because you might be two rooms from the end and you've got one heart left. And you think to yourself, I could just power through and I could survive these next two rooms and finish the floor. Or I can waste a, 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 an amount of time running back to get the pizza but that is chipping away at the time that I have. So if you if you want to be competitive with it, then th that's what it's yeah, for. Yeah. It's like the speed running angle. Yeah, um, yeah. So so yeah, that that's why that's why the pizza is it is only in the first room because yeah. I did I considered putting it in each room that like it pops oh, no. around each time you finish, no, but it just uh, no that would no that would no I like the idea of I have the I call it my insurance pizza. <laughs> so basically if i get to the boss or the last room the number 10 i actually sort of then go okay i'm put, i'm down, down one heart i'm not gonna survive that just with one heart it's not gonna work off i go yeah <laughs> and, you know you just take a little trip down Rimley lane as i call it oh, i remember this bit i hated this bit God, exactly. <laughs> so yeah all very good stuff okay um here we go last question i oh, know all good things must indeed come to an end but here we are so the abilities that you mentioned earlier that you can get do alleviate the difficulty in some areas and aspects and what have you. You get an extra heart, for example, double jump, that's handy. Uh, there's others as well. Um, can you take us through how you came up with them and also how they are earned and the design um, of it, but the earning of them? Can you talk us through that, really? Yeah, so this this kind of idea of when I was early in early stages, I wanted to put these tokens, these coins, collectibles in. Um, there was the kind of the aspect of drawing the player out, encouraging them to use the entire space within the room and collect those tokens, um, and and that kind of then led me to okay, what do you do with these? I, I want there to be something that you that you run around and collect, but what do you actually do with that? Um, and the natural thing was upgrades. In games, I play that are platformers and, well, platformers and otherwise, I love unlocking things. I love kind of upgrade systems and things like that. Um, so I wanted something like that in 10. And I also wanted there to be, it's almost like a way of balancing the difficulty. Um, so if you're really, really good at the game, you're not going to be picking up as many coins as players who keep using the pizza machine because that banks your coins. They're not going to be storing the coins, going back, purchasing as many abilities. So you're kind of like, you know, if you're if you're dying a lot of times, you're also making the game easier for yourself with those abilities. Um, in terms of designing them, I wanted to come up with kind of three main categories, which were you've got the survivor um, style uh, for it, you've got the challenge angle, and then you've got like a traversal angle, mm. which is, uh, I think, explorer. Yeah. And that was how I wanted to group them. So your your traversal abilities are all about your speed, your double jump. Um, there's also a bonus about uh, a bonus that charges your other abilities faster, so you can dash a lot more. Um, there's the survivor is all about uh, let's make this easier to actually get through. Get your hearts. Give a give you a shield that can get rid of bullets. Let's uh, increase your invulnerability. And then your challenger one is I want to get as many coins as possible. I want to just like get through this game quickly. Um, and that's kind of like a good route if you're not getting as many deaths because it adds more coins to rooms. It lets you draw in coins with magnets. So if you're just trying to get through it fast, 
um, that's the path for you. So you get those kind of extra bonuses. Mm. It's all about balancing. Mm. Um, and when coming up with those abilities, um, a lot of the time it was what makes a game more fun. So for one type of player, you want those extra hearts because you might take more hits. You may mm. be not as good at platformers and you just want to kind of feel the kind of reward of getting through a floor, give you those bonuses. If you like the traversal, the traversal is important because like I said, the game is all about moving around that space. Yeah. So making you able to dash or double jump, yeah. it changes the way you can approach some of those puzzles. It, it adds new solutions to some of them, uh, in particular the dash ability. Um, so that's, that's I mean, generally that's how I approach the, the upgrades. Yeah, I, I think it's very well thought out and it's not as thrown up in your face and stuff and like, hey, here we go, well done for, for doing the thing. Now you can do this. How about that? Hey, hey, for all the <laughs> sort of throwing yourself into against risk despite everything. You knew you were going to get a reward for getting this coin, but you're not entirely sure what it was until later on. And that's great. Go you. Because, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, um, kind of a response of like, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, Pavlov. Pavlovian. Yes, yeah, yeah. Pavlovian response. <laughs> yeah. That was what I was trying to think of. Of you see a shiny thing, you're going to collect it, even though you don't know why initially. Uh, uh, well, yeah. you know what's actually quite quite interesting about it is, and I I didn't for some reason I didn't foresee this when I was making the game, is that the a large portion of player deaths happen in the first two floors of the game, because they then start unlocking all the abilities to survive longer. So when players get to like floors maybe eight nine um they're getting through them with less attempts because yeah. they are they've got more hearts they've got longer in, invulnerability they've yeah. got like all these different skills um and but there's there is quite a lot of like you know that i expected it to be that way um in the late stages of development because i also wanted it to be possible to finish the game with no upgrades and i've done it so i know it's possible right um but if i were to make it more and more difficult to account for those upgrades uh first of all the upgrades would become pointless <laughs> because <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and secondly you wouldn't be able to do that kind of like no, no tokens no upgrades run um so I, yeah i wanted that to be in there it's a mistake that games from the late Early not early nineties, late eighties, early they actually when they had an upgrade pass, so they're dabbling with that. You had to upgrade in order to succeed. They actually scaled it the difficulty based on what upgrade, but they never told you which upgrades to get. So they had this great smorgasbord of upgrades, but you didn't know which one was the optimal one. You had to find out for yourself. It was very bad design. But then yeah, this is twenty, thirty years ago, they didn't know any better. But they thought, well, we could do an upgrade path and make that upgrade path and bake it into the level without telling the player that they've never seen the level. They haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. So how can they possibly be have make an informed choice? They can't. You know, it's, yeah, that it's, is that is challenging. Yeah. Really difficult. Um because yeah, yeah. I had to bear in mind that um players might not have double jump. So I can't put any double jump ledges no. in there that you can't get to without no. it because, uh, yeah, it, it, there's so much to consider. And yeah. then it's like, is this room far too easy with double jump? Is this, <laughs> yeah. th there's a boss in particular where there's some ledges at the top Yeah, and it, with double jump, you can jump up there. So I had to put threats up there because I was yeah, like, yeah. well, because my friend test played it, jumped up yeah. and, I, and didn't take a hit. And I was like, oh, oh great. <laughs> great. There's no challenge there. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, that's the... End of the questions. There we are. Amazing. 
10, 10 rooms, 10 seconds. It was developed by The Borg. Is that right? The Borg, yes. Yeah. Where's that come from? Where's that? Come, where's the Borg come from? Oh, it, <laughs> so it's it's basically like an in joke with my friends. Right. That I've, I've I have this like just a character who just makes that makes a noise. It's like you know, the one that's on on the actual like splash screen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I was talking about the name, you know, what do I call myself as a developer? Yeah. And one of them just said, just call yourself the Borg. <laughs> and then he took a, my cousin who did, uh, well, he's not, his cousin, second cousin. Right. Um, he did all the music uh, oh, to the game, okay. he and his okay. he and his friend. Um, he took a recording that we had of me doing that and then made the sound <laughs> for the start. And I was like, well, it's stuck now. I might as well just go with it. <laughs> I, I like it. it. it really Every is. single person I've seen, it starts off when they repeat it. Like, yeah. When it turns on, they go, rog. <laughs> they just copy it. <laughs> it's just this big yellow screen. Big. It's just like, there's nothing like the rest of the game. Like, what is that? <laughs> what was that? Why is he making this? Well, whoever makes it, he or they, or they, why are they making this weird statement about Borg? I mean, <laughs> why? Okay, let's just move on. Let's just try and forget that. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, it is, but it's here yeah. to stay now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so live and, with it. And it's uh, uh, published by uh, Ratalaika Games. Is that the right pronounce it? Yes. It, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, what platforms is it out on presently? Oh, it was so it's out on all the mainstream stuff. So you right. can get it on Steam, you can get it on PlayStation Four and Five, X, all the Xboxes, and Nintendo Switch. Mm. Um, there's no plans to release it for anything else. It plays nicely on Steam Deck as well. It does. I can verify that. Spent most of my time on Steam Deck with this fake game, <laughs> and uh, no, really, really fantastic stuff. Um, and what what systems does it work on Steam? Is it Windows? And is that it? Or is it uh, just Windows on Steam? Yes. Good. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Paris, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Yeah, it's been really nice to talk to you. I've enjoyed yeah, that. This is yeah. the first chance I've had to talk in, in this kind of way about 10. A lot of the time it's just, I'll, I'll just put a tweet out there or you know yeah, yeah. respond to a post or something. But, but it yeah. is kind of nice just to talk about it. Going de- in Delving deep into mechanics and stuff like that and why you come up with this stuff and why you didn't go certain places. And we definitely revealed that. So thank you very, very much for that. So... You're more than welcome to come back, of course, because we do have repeat guests on this show. And whatever it is next you've got working, no doubt we want to see want to see Borg again on something. Whatever that is, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, you know, it's been really enjoyable. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>